Well, here in Psalm 73, we have the, the self-admission, really, of Asaph that he very nearly lost his faith and, and stumbled. And the psalm may not necessarily be by Asaph, because Asaph was appointed by David and uh, I think by Solomon as well as sort of the, uh, one of the official sort of psalm writers. So he could have been sort of writing up someone else's situation. But I would suggest that Asaph was the author because he was a, a temple servant and so he'd have had access to the altar. And I think the key verse for understanding here is uh, verse 17. Well, the first 16 verses, he's talking about how he was eaten up with jealousy uh, and envy of the prosperous, um, despite himself having, as he sees it, a a kind of a hard life. Um, You see, he says in verse uh, 14, All day long have I been plagued, and that's the the same word as he got back in verse 5, they are not plagued like other men, that is, like myself. So maybe he had poor sort of health, and uh, he looked at these people who were proud and uh, arrogant uh, and ungodly and how prosperous their lives seemed to be. Um, And then he goes on about this uh, 16 verses, and then he says, this is how I was until, verse 17, I entered God's sanctuary and considered their latter end. So he could go into the sanctuary... And he reflects, verse 18, that surely you set them in slippery places, you threw them down to destruction, and they were suddenly destroyed, verse 19. Now, I think that he has in view the rebellion of Cordodathan and Abiram, when the earth swallowed suddenly, and uh, it's emphasized that it was sudden, the opening of the earth, and they were swallowed with all their, their wealth and possessions. And he says that he understood this, 17, when he entered the sanctuary. Now, when Korodathan and Abiram sinned, you'd remember they had the uh, uh, censers that they tried to offer incense with, and it's recorded in Numbers 16.38 that those censers were beaten flat and put around the altar as a memorial. So, there's this man Asaph, it seems to me it was Asaph, uh, who was caught up, he admits, with this problem of bitterness and jealousy about these people who were sinners who had such a good life, and who didn't have the uh, plagues that he had day by day in his life, and then he enters the sanctuary, and what does he see there? He sees the altar with the plates around it made from the senses of those men, and then He says, oh yeah, you set them in slippery places, verse 18. You threw them down. They were suddenly destroyed. They were swept away. And then that had sort of jogged his conscience and everything suddenly made sense. And then the rest of the psalm, he's talking about what a fool I was to think like that. Um, And he concludes by saying, yes, there's no one else for me apart from God. Um, God is going to judge the, the wicked in a future day, and so I will, verse 28, come close to God, which is exactly what, of course, Korodathan and Abiram wanted to do. They wanted uh, to get into the uh, position of Moses and Aaron. Now, I think, therefore, that when he, when he talks, therefore, in verse uh, 2, as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had nearly slipped, that must be understood in the context of what I'm calling the the key to the psalm in verses 17 to 19, where he talks about how Korodathan and Abiram 
slipped down, how they were taken away and sucked down uh, to destruction when the earth opened. And he says, my feet were almost gone. My steps nearly slipped. I nearly slipped right down, just like them. Now, from that, I think you can elicit a, a, or work out a, a pretty major principle that if you live a good life, as Asaph did, uh, but your bitterness and jealousy complexes against certain people who are wicked, um, maybe, uh, and sinful, if they get on top of you, despite that good life, you also will go the same way, ultimately, as they will. Now, that is a principle. You can see it here, Asaph's particular problem of jealousy of their wealth and prosperity, despite their, their wickedness. He got so worked up about this, he's saying, that I nearly lost it all. The language of verse 2 is very much the language of a narrow escape. My feet were almost gone. My feet my steps nearly slipped. So I think that the principle is that you can get so worked up about other people, even if they may be sinners, that in the final day of judgment you will go the same way as them. Now that might seem unfair that somebody like these people he's talking about here may live a totally godless, unspiritual life and they end up in death, and that you who, as he says, I cleansed my, uh, my hands and my heart sort of for no reason, verse 13, surely in vain I cleanse my heart and wash my hands in innocence, um, you, you live a, a clean, good life, but bitterness and jealousy complexes can get the better of you, until you actually, in the end, will end up no better than those wicked people over whom you have this jealousy complex. Now, I believe we have all seen this in our ecclesial, our, our church experience. Uh, people who do believe, people who have been baptized, who allow themselves to get caught up by complexes against others who they think well, they should be disfellowshipped or, or are so wrong or justice was never done, uh, it should have been done, it was not handled properly, etc. And of course they, they, they are right as far as it goes, but their obsession with that issue leads them in essence, in spiritual terms, to be no better than those whom they are so obsessed about. Now we have seen this. Have we not? I, I believe we've all seen this. And who is to say that we were not close to it ourselves? Because this is why people, in my experience, stumble. It's why people leave, uh, in whatever sense, because of obsession complexes about others. It all seems so unjust that they got away with it. That they are far from God, and that, do, you, do you know what? She said this, and he did that, and he slept with her, and, and all the rest of it, you know. Um, and so it goes on. And in the end, those people that you're so upset with, actually, they have, will drag you down to the same level as they are at. We have to be very careful about this. And this narrow escape that he feels that he's had... I can say I also feel I had narrow escapes 
from a bitterness about what I feel people did to me and the wrong things they did, it doesn't make it right, the fact that you no longer feel bitter about it and the fact that you get over it. It doesn't justify them and it doesn't mean that you are uh, giving in. What it means is that you refuse to be brought down to their level. And by continually obsessing about these things, you are brought down to their level, and in the end you can lose all grip on real spirituality. And so Asaph reflects when he sees the censers beaten out into those plates around the altar, and he thinks about what happened to Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and he realizes that these people who are winding him up they also will meet their same end because God is the judge. The point is, God does not judge in this life. Uh, he does in some ways, but the ultimate judgment is, of course, when the Lord Jesus returns. And so, if I ask you, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus, and do you believe in a day of judgment when Jesus comes, I'm sure you'd all say, yeah, sure, of course I do. <clears throat> you know, who do you think I am? But if, if we really do believe in that, to the point that you feel it, then you will not get unduly bitter about the injustice which goes on all the time in our lives. You will not get wound up and worked up about that injustice that's going on with those people and with her and with him and with their kids and, and you know, the rest of it. Because, look, Judgment Day is going to come. And that judgment is going to be a far more awesome situation than any judgment or justice that you and I could bring about for those people who are winding us up. And when he gets this point, he says, Wow, I have just been like a beast. 22, so senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He realizes he's almost sort of wasted his life. And we don't want to be like that. Don't waste your life getting worked up and bitter about the injustice of situations regarding other people. And don't forget that Asaph was writing or singing or whatever in the context of Israel. These people he's talking about in the first 16 verses were within the ecclesia of Israel. So in verse 11, when he says, They say... How does God know? Is their knowledge in the Most High? Well, of course, they didn't actually say that. That, he deduces, is their de facto attitude. They still believe that God was Most High, but he says they act like God doesn't know. And, of course, that is a fair comment. We can all say that we know that God is the Most High uh, without really getting it that actually he sees and knows all our actions, and that he is a God of judgment. And, of course, the Hebrew words for judgment and justice are pretty well the same. That the day of judgment will be the day of justice. And so, if we perceive that, then we will understand that it is not now that we're going to see justice. And if that can only be drummed into our heads then we will not get so caught up about these issues of justice and the, the difficulty of understanding how some people have such a great life, apparently. Although, you know, he, he says some things here um, about these people which uh, I think were more his imagination uh, about them. 
Um, he, he says that, um, that they're, they're so wealthy um, and that they have got more than heart could desire and that they don't have any uh, any illnesses or they just have a great life well actually the wicked don't have a great life even in this life this is the the tragedy of it all that they think that uh, okay let's forget about eternity and let's have a good time now they don't actually have a good time now and they are always wanting what they can't get and so when he says, oh, you know, they've got absolutely everything they want, well, actually, uh, as we know from our own experience and as we know from Ecclesiastes, the eye is never satisfied with seeing. There is always something else. There's another million or billion or another holiday house or, or whatever it is, Mercedes or whatever it is that people are so crazy to have another one of. Now... <clears throat> My, my point is that judgment, justice is to come. And this is what suddenly clicked with Asaph. And it clicked when he reflected upon the real meaning of what happened to Korodathan and Abiram. Now, the people that were winding him up were not Korodathan and Abiram. This was some time previous to his time, some uh, centuries previously. And this, I think, is why so much of the Bible is history. And the, the art, I think, of spiritual life is to set ourselves within that history, is to interpret that history and translate it, almost like from one language to another, to be relevant to us. But that person who's winding you up, ah, what happened to Kola, Dathan, and Abidah? There they were, like, doing their little power politics and getting support and power, uh, slandering Moses, etc., working out their little agenda, and it all seemed to be going so well for them, and then whoosh, the ground opens and they're gone. We are to understand that, and so many other examples in the Bible of judgment, of God judging his people, and God judging things like that. Uh, we are to understand that as meaning that I am not to get worked up and fretted about people in the ecclesia or in my life in whatever sense today that's that's the point and that is the power of biblical history in verse 20 i would just like to um <clears throat> make an observation when you awake lord and elsewhere in the scriptures we read about god awaking to judgment it's of course, not as if God is indifferent now, but uh, his final judgment will be as if he has woken up. The NEV puts, you will despise their fantasies. Uh, the AV says, you will despise their image. And it's the Hebrew word selem, which is what you get in, in the beginning of Genesis, that God created man in his own image. And I preferred, actually, the King James rendering there, you will despise their image. Now, if God made man in his own image and after his own likeness, why here at the Day of Judgment do we read that God will despise their image? Weren't they made in God's image? I think that this little verse here is a, uh, an opportunity to understand what it means to be made in the image of God, what it means to be human. We are made in the image of God, but at the day of judgment, God will condemn and despise 
the image, same word, of some people. You could argue that we have two images. We have the image of God and our own image, which God may like or dislike at the Day of Judgment. But I would suggest otherwise, that to be made in the image of God, I would say, therefore it speaks of potential. It speaks of potential. And we may or may not uh, develop that image. And we may deface that image into something grotesque which God will despise at the last day. We're told that we in the New Testament, James says, that we should not curse our brother who is made in the image of God. I don't think that that means that because we look at each other and think, yeah, that person's shaped like a human being with a head, arms, legs, and yeah, well, God's personal uh, in some sense, um, therefore I mustn't curse him. That doesn't seem to be a very good reason for not cursing your brother. Don't curse uh, others, don't curse men, who are made in the image of God. If you understand the image of God here as being really the potential that there is, then, yes, that becomes uh, more relevant and more understandable. Look at people's potential. Realize that everyone is in the image of God, which I've suggested we are to understand as in the potential of being as God. Um, but, you know, at the moment, because the journey is not done yet for, for all of us, um, at the moment that person is not reflecting that image and may have even uh, turned themselves into an image which is uh, to be despised at the last day. That's just uh, in passing, I'll leave that for you to think about what it means to be in the image of God, but I think that verse um, brings that out personally. Anyway, so he's talking about how I was so worked up with these people, I was so bitter, 22, I was just like a brute beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have held my right hand. You will guide me with your word. I think, therefore, that the wonder of all this is that whilst he was like this, worked up with, these, you know, with the other guys, um, <clears throat> and slipping and his feeling that he's almost slipped, God was still with him, continually. It's not that God turned away and thought, yeah, Asaph's uh, going wrong. Uh, God was continually with him, trying to guide him and holding his right hand. And that, he seems to be saying, is the wonder of it all. I would suggest that Asaph was probably writing this in later life, because he can look back and say, 14 all day long have I been plagued and punished every morning of my life. But they lived their lives, verse 5, and they were not plagued as other men, and they died an easy death, implying I'm dying a hard death. And so it may be that he almost wasted his life with uh, getting caught up with bitterness, etc., about other people. Even though he was the choir master of Israel, don't, don't forget that, that he'd have been up front there singing, singing aloud and uh, all into music and all that, but, you know, who knows what goes on in the hearts of any public servant of God. Um, and, you know, this is a, a great insight, I think, into the, the heart of a uh, musician, that he, he, in his case, he is admitting now, at the end of his life, I was really far from it all. I was bitter and twisted as anything over other people. Even all the time I was doing all that praise stuff, that's how I felt. And yet, as he says, the wonder of it all 
is that I was continually with you, and you held my right hand. So then, through all our misunderstandings of others, of God, of the purpose of life even, the purpose of spiritual life, life in the ecclesia or whatever, God is still with us. So even when you see others who seem to really not get it, people who are bitter and twisted as anything, they are, there are such people around, plenty of them, uh, God is still continually with them, trying to hold their hand and guiding them, verse 24, with his word, with the hope of afterwards receiving them in glory. Now God is doing that with you and me, and he's doing it with others. And at the very most, we should cut some slack to those whom we, I guess rightly, perceive as being somewhat distant from God, somewhat away from him, um, misunderstanding him, not getting it. He's still trying to guide them, and he's still trying to guide you and me.